Hello to my listeners. This is Pastor Randy Starkey. I did these teachings on the end times and the return of Christ in several series several years ago when I was pastoring at Victory Church in Peavely, Missouri. One third of the Bible is prophecy, so we really need to be familiar with it, especially as it relates to our soon coming future. Although a few of my comments in some of these messages may be a bit dated, and a few of my ideas are still developing, the truth of God's Word never changes. And there are at least three things that I remain strongly convinced of. All three of these I will touch on in these messages. So number one is this. The prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ were fulfilled literally in real life and in real time. So I have no doubt the prophecies concerning the end times and the second coming of Christ will be fulfilled in exactly the same way in real life and in real time as the Bible describes. I believe it is a huge mistake to spiritualize away end time prophecy. The books of Daniel and Revelation are for sure filled with symbolism, but those symbols represent real events that are going to happen in real time. And it's all getting closer. And number two, I believe God's people will be raptured, caught up to be with the Lord before God's wrath is poured out on the terrible sin and evil in our world. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says Jesus delivers us, not just protects us, delivers us from God's wrath to come. However, I don't believe that will exempt us from Satan's wrath and persecution of true believers and the revealing of Antichrist before the rapture happens. That persecution and pressure we are actually beginning to see happen even now. That is why Jesus said things like we must endure to the end, be ready, watch and pray, don't be deceived, and that we must be about our Father's business and not draw back. And then finally, number three is this. God is not done with Israel. Jesus was Jewish. God loves the Jewish people and the land of Israel. When Jesus returns, that's actually where he's going to land, on the Mount of Olives. There's much to say about Israel and the Middle East, and all of that is coming very fast. And so, I, as I said, I will cover all three of these points in these messages. And these are things that we need not be afraid of when we have surrendered our heart and life to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we're walking close to Him. We have His direction, His guidance, His love, His grace, His power. And the Bible even says, look up, for your redemption draws nigh. However, in these days, we all need to be walking really close to Jesus. And let me say a word to any of you listening today that maybe you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. 
Maybe you've even been hurt in church, or maybe it's been all religion to you. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And Jesus wants you to know him. He is the only way to have your sins forgiven. He is the only way that you can get to heaven. None of us can be good enough on our own. He is the only way to really experience victory in your life and be prepared for eternity. He left heaven, came to earth, gave his life on the cross for you, shed his blood for you that you could be saved and be forgiven. The Bible says there's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. He's the true Savior. So I pray you will open your heart to him, receive him as your Lord and Savior. Allow him to forgive your sins so that you can be ready when he returns. It's really not a pretty picture and there is much to be afraid of because God is God and sin must be dealt with. And so without Jesus, we really are in a world of hurt. So open your heart to him today. Hey, a good way to find out more about that, just go over to our church, Victory Church here in Peavely. And uh, uh, they have an awesome, uh, Pastors Dan and Paige Lord are doing a great job. There's an awesome little book there you can pick up free called Fresh Start. It will give you everything that you need to get you going on your walk with Jesus. So all of this is why we must not only be saved, but be spiritually strong, awake, alert, and serving God. That's why I did these teachings. We have to stay strong in Jesus to know what's coming soon in the end times. And like Noah built the ark to the saving of his household, we must stay close to Jesus in the building of his church because the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And that is our forever family. So listen carefully and then check it all out in the Bible for yourself. God's love and blessings to each of you as you dive into these teachings. Amen. All right, tonight we're doing chapters 5 and 6. Um, we do have tapes and CDs available since... Um, uh, I have someone who's transcribing this for me, so she kind of pushed me to do that. <laughs> and uh, so actually, it's really worked out good. So we do have tapes and CDs available if you missed any of the weeks and you'd like to get them. Uh, we're doing chapters 5 and 6 tonight, our third week. And then um, actually beginning in next week, chapter 7, we get into uh, some of the prophetical aspects of the book. We've kind of so far been into history aspects of the book, and we've been into character aspects of Daniel, and then next week we will be into um, the prophecy that really is uh, very powerful and applies to um, uh, primarily to the end times. And so, chapters 5 and 6, uh, if you want to look on your chapter outline there, chapter 5 is Daniel's ministry advances, and uh, it's going to be the handwriting on the wall story, which I'm sure many of you probably either heard in Sunday school or children's church or somewhere. And then chapter um, 6 is uh, Daniel put to the test. His three buddies were put to the test in chapter 3, 
And now Daniel is going to be put to the test in chapter 6. And uh, any time in our Christian walk that God is going to use us, there will always be a test somewhere along the way. And so we have these very powerful stories included in here. So let's pray and then we'll get going. Father, thank you tonight for uh, just being together here, Lord, and to look into your word and learn from your word. And we pray, Father, that the anointing of your Holy Spirit would guide us as we look into your word. Lord, we pray for revelation, wisdom, understanding, faith and wisdom to be birthed in our hearts, Lord, that we might walk in your plan and your purposes and in the good things that you have for our lives, that we might be strengthened and we might walk in your victory, Lord. We thank you for the victory you won on Calvary over sin, over the devil, and that, Lord, you have a plan for us in this life as well as eternity. And so we ask you just to bless us tonight and open your word to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, chapter 5. This is the uh, handwriting on the wall chapter. And so let's just pick it up and uh, read through it. I believe just, um, you know, one of the things Paul told Timothy to give attention to was the reading of the word. So um, I'm kind of doing them that way, just, just going through each chapter. I go through it fairly quickly. And then we go back and... Um, really gather some things out of it. So picking it up, chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which, were, which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple, which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers, the king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. 
Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard of you, that the Spirit of God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not give the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of you, that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men, and he appoints over it whomever he chooses. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this." And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Then the fingers of the hand were, were sent from him. And this writing was written. And this is the inscription that was written. Mini, mini, tikal, uparson. This is the interpretation of each word. Mini, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tikal, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, uh, I'll explain a little later why that word's slightly different. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and they clothed Daniel with purple, put a chain of gold around his neck, made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the, of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So in this story... What we really have here is the transition from um, Babylon, which if you remember in the statue of the, uh, of the Gentile powers, after Israel really didn't fulfill her role in what God wanted her to be, then the times of the Gentiles came in. And this is the ending of that first Gentile power of Babylon and the beginning of the second Gentile power in that statue, which is the kingdom of the uh, uh, media Persia, and uh, which in the picture of the statue was the, was the silver. 
And, uh, of course, the gold represented the absolute authority of uh, King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. We mentioned a little bit about how, how um, that kingdom, you know, was an awesome kingdom and the whole thing of the Babylonian garden, seven wonders of the world, and that whole thing. And, um, uh, it, you know, just the whole idea there, as the Gentile powers started, there, there was great glory. And, of course, God said he was the one who he, they could have never ruled or, or, or done anything had uh, the Lord not permitted it and actually, you know, been behind it. And we learn in Romans the whole thing about part of this is actually God's plan to, uh, uh, you know, deal with the Jews. But this is the time of the Gentiles, which we're still in. You know, as, as we go down the statue there, we see it degrading in the ability to hold together. But right now, we're, we're still reading stories back up there at the top. And so um, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, at the very end of his reign, we saw last time, he actually began to honor God. You know, and because of that, God blessed him. God blessed him, and, and, and God actually blessed his kingdom. Just to give you a few dates here to kind of... Uh, uh, give you a little more context from this. It was 605 B.C. when King Nebuchadnezzar began to reign in Babylon, and he actually reigned for 43 years. Uh, Daniel was 16 years old uh, in the year 605 B.C. By the time we get to this story, Daniel's almost 80, maybe even a little over 80. I mean, you know, the best scholars can determine we're talking plus, plus, a few, plus or minus a few years here. But also... Um, uh, Belshazzar here, which um, uh, sounds very similar to the name they gave to Daniel, which is Belteshazzar, which again, we said that's an honoring of their moon god, you know. And so Belshazzar had a, had a, a Babylonian name that, that honored one of their gods. And of course, they tried to give Daniel that name, but didn't seem to phase him. Daniel was still Daniel, you know. But um, anyway, he reigned 43 years until 562 B.C., and where it says here, like, for instance, just to, just to give you a, make this thing understand, a little more understandable from history, in verse 2, where it says, which is Father Nebuchadnezzar, some of you may have a New King James, or you may have a version that's got a footnote, Father oftentimes is used in the Old Testament to also mean ancestor. It doesn't always mean your literal father, okay? And actually, Nebuchadnezzar was not Belshazzar's literal father. I mean, they know from archaeological uh, history and, and uh, excavations and things like that, that actually, I'll just give it to you real quickly, but following Nebuchadnezzar, um, one of his sons, Merodach, reigned for two years, okay? He was murdered. He was murdered by Nebuchadnezzar's son-in-law, who was married to his daughter. His name was Neraglisar. He reigned for four years, and actually, um, I won't take the time to go there because we just don't have enough time. But in 2 Kings, it actually gives some of these guys names. So it's just known history, you know. Actually, in Jeremiah, there's some uh, prophecies actually against them. But uh, we just don't have time to go there. If you want to write down the references, I'll give them to you real fast. 2 Kings 25, verses 27 to 30. Jeremiah 5, verses 31 to 34. Jeremiah 39, verses 3 and 13. They, uh, they mention some of these guys. And in Jeremiah 39, Neraglisar is called Nergal Sharitza. Some really cool names, huh? And uh, then after that, he was also murdered. And his son, Labashi Marduk, he reigned for two months. 
and uh, he was assassinated. Anyway, then finally, a guy by the name of Nabonidus, you've probably maybe heard that name before, he came and he ruled for 17 years. His mother was the priestess of the moon god in Babylon. And he was just a very powerful guy. And after all these sons and that were murdered, after Nebuchadnezzar and that, then this guy um, came to power, and Belshazzar was his eldest son. And actually, here in, in chapter 5, his father, Nabonidus, is probably still living. And the, where it says the queen came in, it was probably not Belshazzar's wife. It was probably his mother. And uh, Nabonidus was still ruling, but they, they feel probably in Babylon here that his son, Belshazzar, was, he, uh, from history, they, he was called a co-regent with his uh, dad. One of the things we can learn from all of this, and of course, Nebuchadnezzar didn't acknowledge God until the very end of his life. You know, he sort of did for a little while, but he didn't really get serious about acknowledging God to the very end of his life. And probably for teaching his kids, it was a little too late. But one of the things we can learn from this is it's so important to teach the next generation. Because Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't really acknowledge God until much, much later in his life and probably didn't even think much about, you know, trying to impart that to his kids. But um, it's so, you know, we can make such a, I mean, you look at the problems, and we'll see in this story, Belshazzar, you know, he starts out again not acknowledging God, not looking to the God of heaven, you know. He's, and it costs him a lot. And so, uh, you know, the best thing we can do for future generations is pass on our faith. Teach our kids, you know, the th what, what God has done in our life. You know, tell, tell your kids about that. Help them to walk with God because that will preserve. It only takes one generation for a nation to lose everything God has done. One generation. And so that's, and I believe that's one of the reasons why God has so strongly dealt with us here at Victory in the realm of family, in the realm of youth ministry, in the realm of kids, you know. And I, and I commend our church for, you know, we, we raised almost, you know, together, well, we raised almost half a million dollars, you know, and then spent a million, you know, on buildings back there that uh, are reaching the next generation. You know, we did all that before we padded our pews in here. I believe God will bless that, you know, because we're reaching that next generation. And of course, Nebuchadnezzar didn't do that. So he has all these murders. And then Belshazzar, who is the son of Nabonidus, he is the classic spoiled king's kid. <laughs> you know, cocky as all get out. And boy, is he cocky in this story. And so, you know, as we raise our kids, we have to teach them to honor and respect God and uh, things like that. So that's kind of the context of the, uh, of the story here. And, um, uh, so we have Belshazzar, and what's happening right now at this time is Babylon is being besieged by Persia. They're actually trying to take down the city of Babylon. And if you remember, I told you last time, they, they estimated the walls were like 83 feet thick and 300 feet high. I mean, it was just an unbelievably awesome city, impregnable. I mean, just, you know, just it's that gold kingdom there. And the whole river Euphrates ran through Babylon. And uh, it actually came underneath the walls into the north, and it exited to the south. And um, so we'll see here in a little bit how the Persians were able to get into the city. But, you know, they basically, I mean, Belshazzar was so overconfident and, uh, that he was having a party for a thousand of his nobles 
you know, maybe he was trying to cheer him up about the siege of the city. And, and scholars estimate they had enough supplies in the city for 20 years to feed the city. So, hey, why was Belshazzar worried, you know? The Persians aren't going to get in. They're not going to besiege him. They can keep trying if they want to, you know? But they're not going to get in the city. And, of course, he was very prideful, very overconfident, and a bad, bad place to be in, you know? And not only that, but then he begins to, uh, to dishonor God. So he's having this feast, you know, for a thousand of his lords and all that. And then he, because his mother, um, or Nabonidus' mother would be his grandmother, was so tied in with the uh, moon god, really what had happened is they had lost a lot of Nebuchadnezzar's ground that he gained in honoring God. And so he was actually very much restoring the old Babylonian religion, which was worship of the moon god, the sun god, you know, idols and, and the whole thing, you know, very occultic, um, uh, very, uh, in fact, it goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis, you know, and uh, a very occultic type, you know, idolatrous religion, which ultimately had the power, you know, of the devil behind it. And so he's very much into restoring this. So I think he, you know, I mean, perhaps he called for the vessels from the temple of the God of Israel just to sort of show his gods were better, or maybe to make fun of their gods. That was a big mistake. <laughs> that was a big mistake. And so what happens here is he, he does that. You know, he calls for um, those vessels, and they begin to, to drink out of them, you know, and, and they're having this party and the whole thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, this hand comes out of nowhere and starts writing on the wall. And it's, you, you could just almost feel that the whole place went silent, you know. Just got real quiet, you know. And um, so, uh, I mean, I, it was the beginning of God's judgment. You know, we have to remember God, God loves people, and of course in Christ there's salvation. But God does have a limit. You know, he does have a limit, and he will at some point, you know, judge. And really, after all the work he had gone to through Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar, and we'll see here, actually, Daniel says to him, he really should have known better. Belshazzar should have known better, okay? Because it says very clearly in verse 22, it says, but, but you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. He knew it all. Even though it wasn't his father, it was his great-great-grandfather, whatever, whatever, actually, it turned out that it is there. But... Um, uh, he knew it, you know, and uh, he, he really just, you know, completely had gone proud and, and was serving false gods and had gone away from God. So this hand comes out, you know, and, and, and writes this on the wall. I love verse 6. Verse 6 is, is a riot. It says, Then the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so the, <laughs> the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. I mean, you can just sense the presence and the power of God in that room. I mean, his knees are knocking. You know, we, we, we know all about our, about, you know, shaking in your boots type. You know, that's okay. maybe that's where that phrase came from. But his knees are knocking together so bad, it says his, 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 it's coming, he's coming loose at the hips, you know. So <laughs> I can imagine it must have been a very, very powerful moment there. And it says the king cried aloud. And look who he asks for again. Didn't we just read this about Nebuchadnezzar? Look who he asks for. He asks for the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. Uh, do you remember Daniel? <laughs> remember what Daniel did for 
you know, Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> and, but he didn't remember that or didn't, you know, from when the queen starts talking about Daniel, it's almost like he, asks, he acts like he didn't even know about that. But yet Daniel himself said to him later that he didn't know. So I guess he just, you know, just allowed himself to not even think about it. And uh, that's not good either. We need to think about God. We need to let God guide us, you know, and realize that he is the God of heaven. He's worthy to be worshipped. He's worthy to be praised. That real ultimate victory and success come from serving him, you know. And so we can't let things of the world or other distractions or whatever, you know, keep us from thinking about God, honoring God, and, and, and you know, walking with him. So he cries aloud for all these guys, you know, and then he says, man, whoever interprets this thing for me, I'm going to give him this purple robe, which is a, in that day was a symbol of authority. It definitely meant promotion, you know, and, and a gold chain around their neck, you know. Uh, hey, 24 karat, you know. <laughs> so, solution for midlife crisis, right? You know, gold chain, and, and, and I'm probably worth a lot of money. And a third of the kingdom, a third of the kingdom, um, because Belshazzar, was Nabonidus' son, that was the best he could give. I mean, Nabonidus was the king. He was his son, number two. And so he said, I'm a, he, in other words, he was going to make this person the next in charge under him, if you could interpret it. None of these uh, astrologers or that uh, could interpret it. And, of course, we've talked about how only God can really, you know, tell us the future, tell us what's happening. The devil imitates it through astrology, all that kind of stuff, you know, um, that whole, we talk about the whole TV program on now called The Medium, you know. You know, the devil knows a few things. He can reveal a few things, and he deceives people. But often his motives are wrong, and, um, of course, he, he, he doesn't have the power that God does. And so they can't really interpret it, you know. And so the queen comes in, and, um, which is probably his mom. Actually, it could even possibly be his grandmother, depending upon how it all worked out, you know. But uh, she comes in, and she... Who's, she was older than Belshazzar, and so she has a pretty good memory of what was going on in Nebuchadnezzar's time, you know. And um, she says in verse 11, there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. So you, know, you, you have to ask yourself, well, man, if she knows that, that Daniel, if he, if he has the spirit of the holy God, why are they serving these false gods? It just shows you the power of the flesh, the power of the devil. I mean, so, so many times people almost kind of know something, but they don't act on it. They don't do anything about it. We've got to learn when we know something from God, we've got to act on it. We've got to learn to follow it and do it, you know. And um, uh, Belshazzar knew it. Back to verse 20, 22, he said, although you knew all this. So he knew a lot, but he didn't act on any of it, you know. And so... Um, the queen says, you know, I mean, she even knew that Daniel had, he had a, a relationship and, and there was something of the holy God. Well, if he's the holy God, let's serve him, you know. What are we doing serving these gods of stone and, 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 and uh, you know, iron and gold and all that? And look what he says about him. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief, made him over all the other dudes, you know. And I love verse 12, too. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, I believe, I believe one of the things God blesses among Christians is an excellent spirit. I didn't say extravagant, but excellent. I, I believe God can bless us abundantly, but, but excellence is more important than extravagance. 
Excellent is doing things good. Excellence is doing things right. Excellence is doing things with, with character and with quality. And sometimes even with class, you know. It's doing things in a way that honors and glorifies the God of heaven. And Daniel had an excellent spirit. And um, I believe Christians should be like that. I believe Christians should be the absolute best workers on their job. Can you say amen to that? You know, and, uh, you know, I mean, sometimes, I don't know, I think sometimes among Christians we think, well, because God's on my side, I can be sloppy, or because God's on my side, I can, you know, come in late or whatever. No, I mean, Christians should be the best. We got the knowledge and the wisdom and the power from God. We should be, we should, I, I realize, you know, there's different natural talents, and uh, I'm not, I can't golf. <laughs> So I just don't try, you know. But uh, so God gives us different talents, you know, and different abilities. And um, I like to ski, you know. <laughs> but uh, we should be, whatever we are doing, you know, and particularly those areas where God's really called us to. Skiing's just my hobby, you know. I, I, I don't make ESPN on it. So <laughs> but whatever you're really called to do, whatever you really Whatever, you know, really is God's purpose in your life is, what he's really got for you, I believe we should have an excellent spirit, wisdom, knowledge, understanding, that we should, we should be the, the best we can, you know. And um, I tell it to our staff all the time. You know, I said, we want to have a spirit of excellence around victory. We want to go a second mile. want to do our best, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And Daniel was like that, and I believe, I believe God blessed that. And... Um, so it says, inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, good insight, good understanding, you know. I think I said last time we should be people that have a good broad perspective where we can see what God's doing in the world today. You know, not just be um, people that are kind of so super spiritual that, that we got our head only in Christianese and don't understand. We need to understand, you know, what's going on um, in the world today. How many of you know there's a lot of things going on? I don't have time to get into this, and I won't, but a lot of, a lot of things that are going on through that Terry Schiavo case. There's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of different things that are happening there. I could, I could easily talk for an hour on that. And um, uh, so anyway, but, uh, and you know what? I'll be honest with you on some of that. You know, there's some Christians that have, that, have, that, have, that have done some things in that situation that have made an absolute fool of themselves. Absolute fools. Not knowledge, not wisdom, not understanding, absolute fools. Self-righteous, super spiritual, and you know what? People in the world are not going to listen to that. You have to be able to present yourself with, with wisdom and understanding. Now, there are some Christians that have done a really good job of that. And um, In fact, the, the editor of uh, Newsweek, last couple editorials he's had in the back of New, Newsweek, have been very good. You know, I think he's Jewish. I'm not sure, but... Um, Anyway, it just, I, I didn't want to get off on that. I started to get off that. But, but Christians should be people that really know how, you know, to understand what's going on in the world and how to articulate it and express it and, um, and even take strong stands of truth but yet still love people, you know. So anyway, and Daniel was like that, you know, and I, I like this too. <laughs> Explaining enigmas. The, uh, the literal reading for that, if you have a New King James probably in your margin, is called untying knots. Untying, isn't that cool? How many believe Christians should be the kind of people that can untie knots in people's lives, you know? That's the way Daniel was. He was just, you know, he was a guy that loved God and honored him and, and uh, followed him with his whole heart, and God blessed him. And so, um, so he, they brought in Daniel, you know, before the king. And the king's kind of making a little bit of fun of him here, maybe in verse 13. It says, Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke. 
and said to Daniel, are you that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah? You know, it's, this is the guy who had just drank out of the goblets and, you know, was serving the false gods. And, but, but he, you know, he's still, he's very concerned, you know. So he says, I have heard of you that the Spirit of God, you know, is in you and that light and wisdom and excellent wisdom. And uh, he, so he goes on and says his, his, uh, his guys weren't able to interpret it. And he goes on and tells Daniel, you know, I've heard good things about you. I'll, I'll give you these things. Verse 17, then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself. Give your rewards to another. In other words, Daniel wasn't, wasn't concerned with that. You know, he knew God would, would take care of him. He said, yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. But before he does that, you know, he didn't just immediately start telling the king what it meant. Before he does that, what does he do? He sets the stage of history. In other words, he preached. <laughs> How many of you know when preachers are there, they can't resist preaching? <laughs> so he just, you know, from all the way from verse 18 to verse 21, he sets the stage, you know, preaches this sermon, talks about, you know, his, um, his uh, ancestor Nebuchadnezzar and... Um, you know, how he had had to learn through humbling, you know, and God humbled him and, and uh, how he learned to acknowledge the God of heaven and, and, uh, and the whole story, you know, that we've, that we've covered um, last week. And then verse 22 is really the, the key verse and the central verse of this whole chapter. He said, but you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. So he acted like he really didn't know anything about it. When the queen had come in and talked about Daniel, he's kind of, you know, scratching his head a little bit. But Daniel says very clearly, you knew all this. So a good phrase we could write down there is knowing isn't doing. Knowing isn't doing. It's not enough just to know. We got to do. Okay? And so Belshazzar, of course, hadn't, hadn't done anything. He hadn't, hadn't honored God. And if he'd have been smart, if he'd have studied the life of his relative Nebuchadnezzar, he'd have had Daniel, the head of the kingdom. He'd have been listening to Daniel, and he'd have been honoring the God of heaven that rescued his grandfather, great-grandfather, whatever it turned out to be, you know, um, rescued him from insanity and blessed him with even more than he had before that once he honored God. And Daniel goes on, verse 23, he says, You have lifted yourself up, you know, against the Lord of heaven, and... Um, uh, you know, really, when, when really, and of course, you know, the judgment of God was about ready to fall here, but where Belshazzar really got in trouble was when he started dishonoring God. Not just worshiping false gods, that's one thing, you know. He was worshiping the moon god and all that kind of stuff. But when he began knocking the God of heaven, when he began degrading the God of heaven, and he began, when he drank out of the goblets and all that, you know, and Daniel, Daniel pointed that out. He said, you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. And, and he knew better, too, because he had heard the story of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. You know, well, when he began, to, I believe that's really what began to, to set off the judgment of God. And, uh, you know, I'm telling you, we have to be careful in America. We've got people right now that are trying to take God out of the Pledge of Allegiance. You know, we got people that are, are just, you know, they're beginning to start putting down our heritage and putting down the God of heaven who has blessed America. And I'm telling you, I just want to say that's dangerous. <laughs> we need to do everything as we can as Christians to help our nation remember its heritage, you know. Now, whether our nation turns or not, 
Even if judgment falls on America, how many of you know God's still with us? You know, just like he was with Daniel. But I still, you know, I would still rather influence my country for good, wouldn't you? You know, let's, and, and have God bless the whole nation. So, but I believe that's really what, what, what uh, got Belshazzar there in trouble. And Daniel said some great phrases there. He said, God holds your breath in his hand. Isn't that an awesome statement? Every breath we take is just, we are, I mean, we only breathe because God says, I'm letting you breathe. I'm blessing your life, you know. And he owns all your ways, you know. Really, we live in God's universe, and he's got the power to do anything, and so we need to trust him. And he says, he said, Belshazzar, him you have not glorified. And so every chance we get, again, not in some self-righteous, super spiritual, religious way, but just by living our life, we should glorify God. And when we get opportunities to exalt his name, lift up his name, then, then give glory to God, you know? I believe God blesses that. So anyway, these, this, this hand, I can, can you imagine what that must have looked like, the hand coming out, writing on a plaster wall? I mean, the, the finger of the hand, you know, just <laughs> etching into the plaster. I mean, they were just sitting there going, oh my gosh. How many of you know when God chooses to move in, in, in ways like that, he can do it very dramatically, <laughs> you know? Just like the day of Pentecost when he poured out his spirit, or he just, it's, it's kind of neat the way God can move dramatically. And so um, these words were written on the, uh, on the wall just to kind of give you a quick thing of what they mean. Meanie, meanie is an Aramaic word, and it, it, it comes from the word minya, and basically it was, a, it was a unit of measure that was worth 50 shekels. And uh, the, the, uh, it, there's a, a verb that's associated with that, which means to number. So it was used as a noun for a certain amount of, of weight, but the verb behind it was to number. You know, that's what, where that came from. And then the word um, tekel, it was, it's another unit of measure. It's, uh, it's one shekel, two-fifths of an ounce, and it comes from a verb tekal, which means to weigh. And then the last word, uparson, um, is a plural word, and, uh, it's t- it was, which really was applying to his whole kingdom. And Daniel turns it into a singular word and does a play on words with it in just a minute. But uparson was actually a half a menia. And it came from a, a word, I mean, a verb, um, uh, preo, which meant to divide or to break in two. So basically, what, you, what you've got, I mean, Daniel said, you know, here's the interpretation, meaning God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. So he's saying, hey, God's given you a certain number of days. You've blown it. They're up. You know, that's really what he's saying. You've been numbered. You've been weighed. And now you're divided. And so, and so that, that whole, like I said, the word tekel means to weigh. You, he said, you've been weighed in the balances, and you've been found wanting. It's kind of like God said, okay, here's the way I do it. I have a balance scale. That's the way they would do it when they would buy things back then. He said, uh, Belshazzar, I put you on the scale, and you are too light. <laughs> it is sunk. You are sunk. You are too light. You do not have enough moral or spiritual character or faithfulness or honoring of God to make it any longer. You are found wanting, you know? And so his time was up. And you parson means to divide. And so what basically that means, your kingdom is going to be divided. It's going to be given to the Medes and the Persians. And so numbered, weighed, and divided. I mean, who could interpret that? That's what those words mean. But Daniel actually put them into a practical application of what it actually meant. And uh, when he said there in verse 28, Perez... 
That is the singular. And so what he did was he was, you know, when the words were written on the wall, it kind of applied to the whole kingdom. But but Daniel applied it specifically to Belshazzar. And it's a little bit of a play on words because the singular is Perez and it sounds a lot like Persians. And so it was sort of Daniel's way of letting you know, letting him know uh, the Persians are coming. <laughs> you are history, you know. And um, so Belshazzar, who knows what was going through his mind at that moment. Maybe he didn't even believe it. But he actually gave Daniel the, the, the robe, gave him the gold chain, made him the third ruler of his kingdom. Now it only lasted for 12 hours <laughs> because Bel, Bel, that's all that's the longer Belshazzar lived was about another 12 hours. So I guess Daniel went, eh, you know, hey, it doesn't matter what this guy gives me. God's going to take care of me. So, you know, and he, but he, he goes ahead and gives, gives it to Daniel. And, uh, you know, Daniel received it. And it said that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. And the way they got in there, the way they got in was they actually were digging a canal outside the walls. And I guess the Babylonians were so proud that they couldn't figure out what they were doing. But they diverted an, the, the, enough of the Euphrates River that the, that the river lowered. They diverted enough in the canal they dug to get enough of the water level in the Euphrates to lower. And they were able to get in under the wall because of the lowered river level. And when they got in there, they got in that night was the night they got in. And so here he is. He's thinking, ah, we're impregnable. We're worshiping these false gods, you know. And all of a sudden, boom, that was it, you know. And, uh, you know, the same, I mean, the same thing applies to us in America. We think we're invincible. Nobody can hurt us. Nobody can harm us. But, uh, you know, i tell you what. You just, you know, if God decides, how many of you know if God, God decides to raise you up, he can raise you up. He's raised up America. He's blessed America. But how many of you know if God decides to put you down, he can put you down. So we need to honor him. Let's honor him and do everything we can to help our nation honor him because that, that can make a difference, you know, um, in our nation. And, um, I tell you, you, you wonder what could possibly set the stage for the coming of Antichrist. Who knows? But I was just listening to the radio the other night, and, and one guy was talking about terrorists getting nuclear bombs. Just stopping. You know, they coordinated what? Six airplanes, five airplanes, four airplanes, 9-11. Just think what would happen if uh, about five bombs were coordinated. L.A., New York, Chicago. What would that do to America? I mean, I'm telling you, we just, you know, our protection, you know, is not in our own mightiness, is it? It isn't our hand that gave us the power to get this wealth. It all came from God. He's the one who raises up. And I'll tell you what, you know, we need, our nation also needs to be doing everything we can to support Israel because, you know, they're next on the docket for, for God's, God's dealings. And, and uh, they've, they've made a lot of mistakes and God's got a lot of dealing to do in them. But we need to never forget they're God's chosen people. And we as Gentiles need to do everything we can to honor God. What that, what that can do is it can stay the hand of God's judgment. And as I was saying last time, uh, I don't believe there's a lot of specific prophecy in the Bible about America. And so maybe, just maybe, God has given us our choice. It's what we do. It's what we do, you know, or don't do to honor him. And I believe so. If we'll honor him and, and uh, do everything we can, who knows? I believe God could still yet use America in the world today and, and use Christians in America to make a big difference. There's a lot, how many of you know there's still a lot of good, positive things left in America? And so we need to also remember that. But this story is a good lesson <laughs> to learn, you know, and not have our confidence in ourselves and be careful, you know, that, that we don't, uh, you know, Belshazzar forgot. 
What had happened to Nebuchadnezzar? And it cost him a great deal. So we want to be people that honor God and, and do everything we can to see God's blessing come to our, our nation. Amen? Amen. All right. Now, let's go on to chapter 6. And this is the great story. We're all familiar with it. The story of Daniel and the lion's den. And um, so Darius takes over here. And uh, the, 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 the Medes and the Persians are now uh, have, have defeated uh, Babylon. And so the, the, the city of Babylon is part of their kingdom now. And um, in picking up in chapter 6, verse 1, it says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, which uh, I know my brother here had asked about that a couple weeks ago. If you read in the King James, it says princes. Basically, the best translation is just governors. I know it's a weird name, <laughs> satraps. You know, <laughs> sounds weird, doesn't it, you know? And, um, but anyway, they were princes or governors. So he chose 120 to be over the whole kingdom, and over these, three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would not suffer, uh, would suffer no loss. So he was a good leader, you know. He, uh, he had some order, and, uh, and, and he also somehow recognized that Daniel was, um, you know, a good leader and uh, had some giftings there, and so he made Daniel one of the three governors. So he's already smarter than Belshazzar, isn't he? You know, he's got Daniel um, in there. Maybe somebody told him the story of, how he, of, of what God said right before he got in the city, you know. <laughs> he probably said, hmm, maybe I, better, maybe I better put this Daniel in some authority, you know. So he's already, Darius is already ahead of Belshazzar in his wisdom. All right, verse 3. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps. And here, here we have it again, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the king. And they were jealous. But they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against his Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and, and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. Politics. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that, talk about appealing to his ego, watch this, that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. You've wondered where that phrase came from, the law of the Medes and the Persians. Here it is. And so they were more of a, of a kingdom that was governed by law, whereas Nebuchadnezzar just did whatever he wanted to and had total authority. And uh, so already we see a little difference in organization here. And they're the silver kingdom. Uh, verse 9, therefore King Darius signed the written decree. And uh, he just wasn't thinking, you know, and he, he allowed his ego to uh, get the best of him. He allowed his pride, again, human pride, instead of following God, he allowed it to get the best of him, and it, and it, it, it made the situation um, tough, you know, but God used it. Verse 10, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day, and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. 
So we'll talk about that. He didn't change a thing. Then these men assembled. And actually, the literal Hebrew is, is rushed. It's they rushed. They must have known where Daniel prayed. These men ru- assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. They went before the king and spoke concerning the king's, de- king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, That Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself. He realized what they had done. And set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. He was trying to find a way to get out of having to throw him in the lion's den. You can tell already Darius has a much better heart than Belshazzar, Belshazzar did. And um, that's the way it is in the Gentile kingdom. Some, some will serve God, some won't. We just need to influence as many as we can. All right, these, then these men approached the king and said to the king, No, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave the command. They brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God... Whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. So it's amazing, the faith that was coming out of the mouth of the king. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet, signets of his lords that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. His palace and spent the night fasting and no musicians were brought before him. No TV, no CDs. Also his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. When he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. He meant it. It wasn't politics. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him, commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. And the king gave the command, and they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives, and the lions overpowered them, broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Then King Darius wrote, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered, circle the word prospered, prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. 
So God jerked the kingdom right out of Belshazzar's hand, put it in the hand of a guy named Darius, who was much more honorable toward God than Belshazzar was. And, um, uh, you know, we don't know exactly why Darius was maybe more open to God. Maybe it was because, maybe he did hear the story of the handwriting on the wall. Maybe he repented real quick, you know, I don't know. But uh, for some reason, whatever, maybe Daniel's, Maybe Daniel had had a chance. I don't know. You know, they don't really give us the time frame here. But maybe Daniel had a chance to, uh, you know, maybe he was really touched by Daniel's ministry or by Daniel's witness or Daniel's testimony. And uh, how many of you know testimonies are powerful? You just never know what might happen in somebody's life by, by giving them your testimony and sharing what God's done in your life. But anyway, for whatever reason, Darius, you can just tell by reading this, was very predisposed, you know, um, to the God of heaven. And because of that, you know, God, God, uh, God blessed him, you know. And uh, so, and, and again, we see how Daniel had distinguished himself. Again, he was serving God with excellence and with his whole heart. He was doing a good job. And actually, the king had thought about putting him over the whole kingdom, you know. That's how, how good he was doing, and that's what made the other guys jealous. And um, notice what they said about Daniel in verse 4. It said they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. He was faithful. You know, that's one of the greatest qualities that will bring you into the plan of God and the blessing of God in your life. Be faithful. Be faithful to God. Be faithful to your family. Be faithful to your ministry. You know, uh, whatever you, what you commit to, do it. You know, you commit to God, follow him. Just, you know, God will bless you when you're faithful. He said, if you've been faithful over these little six things, I'm going to make you ruler over six cities. When you are faithful, he said, if you're faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the big things. Daniel was faithful. He just, he just served God through thick and thin. He, he served God here through what? Uh, three and four kings. Started out at 16. Here he is in his 80s being faithful to God, faithful to his ministry, faithful, you know. And, and so, you know, he, in his faithfulness, he was, God was promoting him. God was blessing him. You know, here he was. They were going to put, put him over the whole kingdom. And it also said, um, nor was there any error or fault found in him. I don't believe that meant he was perfect or anything like that. We know this side of heaven, nobody can be perfect. But I think it does mean that he had, you know, allowed God to work in his character, work in his life. I want to say one thing about that, too, because Daniel here is used. Da Daniel is by far one of the most powerful books of prophecy of the end times. And I want you to understand something. Purity and prophecy go together. True prophecy. Now, I've heard, I've heard prophecy come forth that kind of is like, you've heard me talk about granola Christians, fruits, flakes, and nuts. You know, I mean, when you have water throwing, flowing through a rusty pipe, what do you get? Rusty water. <laughs> you know? So if you want pure water, pure prophecy, someone who really hears from God like Daniel and can really bring the true stuff, you've got to have purity and prophecy to go together. So someone who is, I'll be honest with you, you know, I mean, I mean, God can speak through anybody and anything. And, you know, I mean, I don't put God in the box. But when it comes to overall, God speaking to the church as a whole worldwide, I mean, if someone doesn't have character, I don't, I don't even bother listening. I don't give it time of day, you know, because uh, God's just not going to say much really there, not of any significance. So Daniel, he was a great man of purity. And um, also a man of power, but he, then out of him came, in, beginning next week, we get into some of the end times prophecies, which are really, really some very powerful stuff. And we'll, we'll tie some of it into the book of Revelation.
But so anyway, you know, even these guys here, you know, they said, man, he's a faithful guy. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't cheat on his wife. You know, he doesn't do bad things, you know. And they said there wasn't any error or fault. And, of course, he wasn't sinless, but, but he had allowed his character. He allowed God to, God to work in his character. So they knew the only way they could trick him, you know, was somehow through his commitment to the Lord. And so they, they passed this law, you know. And then down there in verse 10, what does Daniel do about that? He doesn't change a thing. It says, you know, hey, he goes home, you know, and he knows what the law is. It's against praying to anybody except the king, you know. And they, had, they had appealed to the king's ego, and, and uh, I guess he was unsanctified enough and had a weak moment there and passed that law, you know. But uh, God was able to get around that. So, and, he, and he went home, and with his windows open toward Jerusalem, and of course this is Old Covenant, so Jerusalem was the city of the great king. And, and even though Daniel was in captivity, he knew, you know, that God had ordained, you know, Israel was God's chosen people. So he, he prayed with, um, with uh, his windows open toward Jerusalem. And uh, how, how many of you know, even right now, I don't want to get off on this tangent either, but in the Middle East right now with, with Jerusalem and the whole thing of the, the Muslims claiming it, you know, and that whole thing, I mean, it's a big issue, you know. But we know, we, how many of you know who's going to get Jerusalem in the end? <laughs> We know God's just ordained it, you know, for the Jewish people. He's just, he chose them, you know, and it doesn't mean that they're better than anybody else. It's just they're his chosen people. Jesus was a Jew. He came out of the Jewish people, and God has chosen to use the nation of Israel in, in certain purposes that he hasn't chosen Gentiles. It doesn't mean God loves them any more than any better, but it just means they're, they're chosen, you know. Just like we're all called to different things, and so we need to honor. God knows what he's doing. But anyway, so he, he opens his window toward Jerusalem, and uh, he knelt down on his knees, and three times a day he prayed. And let me just say, you know, Dan, this is a good lesson for all of us because, you know, what one of the keys is just to staying fresh with God is just keep your relationship fresh with him. Daniel prayed three times a day. It's not in a legalistic setting up of, well, I'm going to pray three times a day just like Daniel did. I mean, that's great if it works for you, but the bottom line is this. Just keep your relationship with God fresh. I don't care whether you do it in the morning or at noon or at night or how you do it. Just do it. Keep your relationship with God fresh. Have time in his word. Have time where you pray, time where you talk to God. That was really Daniel's secret. And um, notice here, just a couple quick things about his prayer time. He gave thanks to God. Always have a positive, thankful flow in your life. How many of you know God has blessed every one of us in here abundantly, right? Now, you may have problems. We all do. But don't start praying with your problems. Start by being thankful. It'll already lighten your heart. God, thank you that I live in America. God, thank you that I've got food on my table. God, thank you that, you know, I'm saved. I mean, how many of you know already that puts you in a better mood to pray? <laughs> you know? So start, be like Daniel. Always start with Thanksgiving. If you, if you ever feel yourself getting a case of the grumblies and the gripes, go deal with that thing, you know, because it'll pull you down. Get thankful. Start with Thanksgiving. And uh, the Bible says, enter his gates with Thanksgiving. So be thankful. Be a thankful person. God's blessed all of us so much. Okay, and then in verse 11, I love this. It says, then these men assembled, and the literal Hebrew means they rushed. So they knew where Daniel prayed. They knew where Daniel prayed. It says they rushed there because they, they wanted to get their digital picture of him praying and take it to King Darius. <laughs> but they obviously knew Daniel served God. And there's a good lesson there, too. Don't be a weird you know, self-righteous religious zealot, but also don't hide your faith. Be real. Be real. Be a Christian before the world. 
Don't, Paul said what? In Romans 1, I am not what? Ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God to salvation. So be real. Be yourself. Don't be intimidated by the world, the devil, or anything. Just be yourself. That's what Daniel did. He just went home and prayed. And here's the other thing about this. A law that's passed that says you can't worship God is a law you can't obey. And actually, Daniel declares this later when he's set free from the lion's den. He said, and against you, O king, I did nothing wrong. Now, did Daniel break a law? Yeah. But he broke a law that said, he broke a law that broke a higher law <laughs> that it said you couldn't worship God and that you had to worship a man. This story, again, is a precursor, and Daniel's a prophetic book. This is a precursor of what's going to happen in the end times with Antichrist. Because people that won't take the mark of the beast and people that won't bow down and worship Antichrist, they're the ones that are in trouble. But guess what? Just as God delivered Daniel from the lion's den, how many of you know if you're walking with the Most High God, whether you're martyred or saved or whatever happens, you're going to be okay, you know? And the other thing we need to realize from this story, too, in fact, in fact uh, both, of the, both of the deliverance stories in this book are stories where they were delivered. I, I believe that, that, that there are people that are going to be martyred. I believe that. But also, I mean, I tell you what, I'm not going to be a martyr unless, God, unless uh, God really makes it clear to me I'm supposed to be that. Because if I'm not supposed to be that, how many of you want to use some faith to, to the, the, if your faith gets you in trouble, your faith can get you out of trouble, you know? And not only that, but God can keep you alive and use you to influence other people. And so God, God delivered Daniel and kept And, and look, at, look at the declaration that Dar Darius makes after this. You know, can you imagine all of our Congress and, and all the representatives, you know, and all that saying, hey, anybody that doesn't serve Jesus Christ and the God of heaven, you are in trouble. You know, what would that do in America? Woo, man, that would really do something, wouldn't it? <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I, I do believe, you know, I mean, there, there's obviously martyrs. There's stories in the Bible of martyrs, but there is also great stories of deliverance. And a lot of times, you know, we might not be in situations of maybe actually being martyred, but we might be in situations where our faith is tested, where it's not a literal lion's den, but it's like a lion's den. <laughs> maybe it's a lion's den of your family. <laughs> maybe it's a lion's den at work, you know. And guess what? God can deliver you from that. And he can demonstrate his power and demonstrate his glory through you, you know. And so, uh, and, and he did with Daniel. But Daniel, he didn't compromise. He didn't pull back. You know, what he did was he, he just honored God. He kept on honoring God. And so, and of course, that, according to that 30-day law, they were supposed to pray, to pray to Belshazzar. I mean, pray to Darius, you know. And of course, he wouldn't do that. So don't compromise your faith ever. Ever, when it comes to worshiping God. The devil's always trying to get us to do that. He's trying to get us to worship something else, you know. Well, just worship money. Hey, you know, you get all the money you can get and become super wealthy, you know. And, you know, it's like the guy that, you know, God blessed him, prospered him, and he bought a new car and stayed home from church to wax it. <laughs> Pretty soon, serving money instead of serving God. No, don't, don't compromise anything for any reason. Just serve God. How many of you know God's able to deliver you, bless you, and do anything else that he, that he needs to do and wants to do? So, and, and that's, a, that's a key, I believe, coming up in the days ahead because there's pressure in society 
to try to try to dishonor God or, or keep us from honoring God. And we want to honor God. So and that's what Daniel did. Just went home. And of course, you know, you know the whole story here. We read it. You know, they they um uh they they got on Daniel's case, you know, and you may you may find times in your own life where where people are trying to give you a hard time because you're a Christian. Just relax. Relax. Just be yourself. Don't compromise, but just love God. Honor God. He can do great things, you know. So they do all this thing, you know, and, and, um, and, and of course, even, even the king is upset with himself that he passed this law, but he was a man of integrity. He knew he couldn't change the law. That's the way it was. And so they, they gave the command to throw Daniel in the lion's den. And, uh, and even the king says, your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. I wonder, I wonder if Darius had heard the story of the three Hebrew children. Maybe somebody just, you know, some relative or something. Do you know what happened, man, over there in Babylon? There's this Daniel dude, and he had three buddies, and they threw him in this furnace, and you're not going to believe it, man. They were walking around in the furnace. It was the God of heaven that delivered them. Or maybe somebody came and told him that story, you know. And so Darius, man, you know, he's pumped, you know, and he's, he's scared too, but he says, you're God whom you serve continually. He will deliver you. So, you know, man, that's, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's very commendable for Darius to say that. So they put, the way this den was built, it was similar to the furnace. There was an opening at the top where they could throw people in. There was also a, a door on the side of the den. That's the one that he sealed with his ring so they couldn't get Daniel out. And that's where they would let the lions into the den. Then they'd throw them in through the top. You know, and so they, of course, threw Daniel in there. And, you know, the next morning they, they come and the king is, is um, uh, you know, really. And look at, look, at, look at the king's commitment to God. Verse 18. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. And his sleep went from him. And um, I, Daniel, no question, had faith in God. But hey, maybe the king helped a little bit. You know, so when you're facing a difficult time, hey, go for it. Press into God. Believe God. Don't just automatically assume you're going to be a martyr. I'm dead. <laughs> you know, I'm history, man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no. <laughs> Don't automatically assume that, you know. And uh, so, the, you know, the king sought God, you know, and took it seriously. And so he goes the next morning, early in the morning, went in haste to the den of lions, you know, and he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. Daniel, man, you know, hey, are you okay? Oh, king, live forever. That wasn't politics. That was just saying, you know, king, I really like you. <laughs> you know, you were praying for me last night, you know. And um, I like verse 22. It says, my God sent his angel. And again, some scholars believe actually it could have been Jesus, just like the fourth guy in the fire. It could have been Jesus himself, pre-incarnate Christ that came and shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. In other words, he, did, he was living a life that honored God. I was found innocent before him, before the God of heaven. He, he wasn't playing games with God. He obviously wasn't sinless, nobody sinless, but he was innocent before him. He was, this was before the blood of Christ where you can have righteousness in Christ, but he was just saying he was, you know, he was a man of integrity. He was living for God. And I believe that had a part in God delivered him. And look at this, and also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. So yeah, he disobeyed the law, but he said, God's law in this situation is higher. I have done no wrong. And sometimes, you know, corrupt societies can pass laws to try and intimidate people that have faith in God. But if, when it comes to, and you know, um, what was it Peter said when he was preaching there in the book of Acts? You know, when the Sanhedrin was trying to hassle him, he said, whether it's better to obey men or God, you, you tell me. You know, and they were basically telling him he couldn't preach, couldn't share the gospel. 
you know. And there's just certain things, you know, we just have to honor God. And so if, uh, if, if a ruler passes a law and said you can't worship God or that you got to worship a false God, you know, you just can't do that. And Daniel makes it very clear here. He said, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad. He didn't hassle him, you know. He knew that he had been tricked and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den. No injury, whatever, was found in him. Now watch this. Because he believed in his God. you got to have faith. Only faith is going to move you and motivate you to make the right decisions at the right time. And so Daniel, I mean, obviously he didn't have any control about being in the den, but he did have faith in God. Actually, the king was a pretty good guy, too, making a pretty bold statement of faith in verse 16. So Daniel had two things going for him. He was innocent before God. He was living right before God, and he was a man of faith. You know, so believe God. Don't, don't automatically think, I think I said this last time, that the, that the worst thing is going to happen to you. No, believe that God's going to help you, that he's going to do something powerful for you, that he's going to deliver you out of situation. He's happy that you're serving him. The same faith that gets you blessed is going to be the same faith that gets you in trouble, but it's going to be the same faith that gets you out of trouble, you know? And if you do end up a martyr, then you're out of here and you're done and you're in heaven forever. That ain't bad either, right? So either way, you're a winner. So, but have faith in God. And, and uh, a lot of times God will actually give you supernatural revelation inside where you kind of you know, you know that he wants to do something good. But you've got to get past that negative thinking and, that, and that, that doubt and that fear and that unbelief that always wants to make you think that somehow God's not going to come through. No, have faith that he's going to help you and strengthen you. When you serve him, he's happy. And, uh, yeah, it'll get you in some situations where people that are serving the devil may give you a hard time and, and uh, people that are in the sin may give you a hard time. But just be yourself. Serve God and believe that he's going to do some good things for you. And he will. So, no injury, whatever, was found in him because he believed in his God. And uh, the king gave the command, and then they threw. Oh, man, I tell you what, it was, uh, it was a little different, wasn't it, when they threw the accusers down there. They got eight before they ever hit the bottom. Whoo! Now, listen to me. Let me just say something to you. How many of you know that, that you know, it's looking bad here in the middle of the story, but how many of you know when you serve God, you are going to come out on top one way or another? When you serve the devil and you serve sin, you lose. They may look like they're winning sometimes at certain times, but they end up losing. But when you serve God, you end up coming out on top one way or another. And so <laughs> those guys were history, weren't they, including their whole families, <laughs> you know? And um, some people read things like this and they go, wow, man, you know, that's pretty heavy duty. You know, God's, God's almost like cruel there, you know? Well, I mean... Here's the bottom line, you know, I mean, how many of you know life is reality, you know, and people get a chance. They get a chance to serve God. God, God gives them time. But, but here, these, these people plotted, plotted against Daniel, you know, and, and you know, God, God gives people a chance to, to serve him, and the people have to make a choice. If they're going to serve the devil and serve sin, then they end up getting the consequences of that. Another, another powerful thing about this is those guys that, that were trying to trick Daniel and or trick the king and, and they, they were, their, their motives were wrong, they didn't, weren't serving God, it affected their families. And decisions we make for good or bad affect our families. When you make decisions for the good, it blesses your family. 
When you make decisions for the wrong, it hurts your family. So you, you guys ever hear this? Well, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt anybody else. You know, isn't that the phrase you always hear? It doesn't affect anybody. Else. Oh yeah, any every dis, everything we do is like a ripple effect in the water. It affects somebody somewhere somehow. How many of you know, even right here at Victory, when we're doing good and serving God and all that, how many of you know, even though sometimes we don't even realize all that, it has a good impact on our community? Sure it does. Sure it does. So uh, anyway, <laughs> they were history, weren't they? And then Darius comes out here, and he goes, man, to all people's name. This is the guy who is just, um, th- th- he was just supposed to be worshiped for 30 days. Well, man, he changed that degree real fast. Oh, no, don't worship me. Here's what you got to do. All peoples, nations, and languages, peace to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. I love some of these things he says. He's a living God. In other words, he's not a dead, false idol. He's a living God, you know, that cares about us. Steadfast forever. His kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Do you think, too, that maybe somebody had also shown Darius a picture of that statue? His kingdom is one that will not be destroyed, that will go on forever. You know, who knows? And so, I mean, he's saying some very, very powerful things. Because I love verse 27. He delivers and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. How many of you are glad you serve a God that delivers and rescues, that works signs and wonders? I mean... Can you serve him with confidence now today? Can you go forth in the name of the Lord and honor him and know that he's going to take care of you? Amen. And these, these are the kind of stories that, that encourage us, you know. And I, at the very ending of this, here's where it's all summed up, you know, verse 28. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus. When you serve God, God is going to bless you and prosper you. It's that simple, you know. Some people have a problem with prosperity or God's blessing. And I'll tell you this, there are people that abuse it and misuse it. We're not to worship blessings, but we're to worship the blesser. But how many of you know a good father does want to bless his children when they're following him? So God will, when you honor him, he's just, he's going to do that. He's going to bless you and he's going to prosper you. How many of you know he's blessed America? How many want to see that blessing continue in our land so that we can serve God, have finances to take the gospel, and, uh, and, and you know, we just have to, have to do everything we can to honor him, and, and first for our own lives, our own families, our own church, but also to be a blessing to our nation. And he's a good God. doesn't have any problem blessing us, you know. Whether you have ten, five, or one talents, he will, he will bless you one way or another. Yes, sir. Yes, Nabonidus. Nabonidus. He was probably, I mean, I haven't, I could probably, I don't know whether scholars have an opinion on exactly what happened to him, but basically he was probably executed, you know, um, at that time. You know, uh, I, I could, I didn't really, you know, dig that deep. The thing, when you start studying on this kind of stuff, I, I'll be honest with you, I have, I use computer software, and I have right now probably on my computer, I have probably, Oh, I don't know. I'm going to say 500 um, study books, you know, and um, I could I could literally and, you know, of course, in the archaeology, archaeological things and some of the history things, 
I mean, I find it very interesting, and I really, I liked, I really enjoy reading on that, and I just gave you a few bits of it. But, I mean, you could literally read for hours, you know. So, I mean, if you're curious, here's what I'd recommend. Go on the Internet, go to www.google.com, and type in the name Nab Nabonidus. Now, you're going to get a lot of different hits, and some of them may be reliable, and some of them may not be. <laughs> and who knows what else you'll hit. But... Uh, <laughs> But, uh, but, but you could do some study, but probably see, because he was Belshazzar's father, literal father, not just, not just ancestor. The Hebrews use the word father a lot for ancestor. But, uh, you know, and most scholars do believe he was alive at the time that Belshazzar was holding the seats. He was probably older, you know, he was starting to turn things over to his son. He was first, Belshazzar was second, so he was going to give Daniel number three. He, when, when uh, uh, you know, Darius came in and, and took over the kingdom, uh, you know, probably he, he was maybe, I imagine he was executed if, 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 uh, if it went true to form. But you never know. I mean, they do, they do weird things with kings they conquered. You know, they could have tied his thumbs and hung him up or who knows, you know. I just haven't done any historical research on that. But, but I'm sure there are probably some scholars that have some opinions on that. So obviously, since this is so far back, there, you know, you get a few different opinions of different scholars as to exactly you know, uh, they do know, I mean, obviously, since Daniel was still alive, the number of generations between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar couldn't be very many, probably two at the most. You know, I guess it depended on how fast they got married and had kids. <laughs> but uh, it couldn't have been a long time because uh, he, was, he was in his 80s at that time. So, uh, but there's, there's actually, there's whole books written on things like Darius the Mede. Entire books, five books I know of are written on nothing but Darius you know, if you're a history buff and you like to read that kind of stuff, you know, it, it is very interesting. But obviously, in a Bible study like this, if I just give you all history and, and our archaeology, we'd, we wouldn't have time for the spiritual lessons, which are really, you know, the most important. But to get, you know, get, to get the spiritual lessons, it's good to have them in a little historical context. Yeah, Evan. Yes. Actually, Darius was probably the ruler of Babylon, and Cyrus, what, they, what, what most history, and this is really pretty well documented historically, Cyrus was really above Darius, and uh, Darius was, and actually, there's very little about Darius. He didn't live very long, and they don't really know why, but there's very little in history that they can find about Darius, where there's a lot about Cyrus, but probably Cyrus gave Babylon to Darius, and it, well, he was 62, so since he was 62 years old, in those days, you know, they didn't have the kind of, you know, medical things that maybe we have. So he, he, he could, at 62, in those days, he could have easily not lived that much longer, you know, depending upon um, how healthy he was. But uh, he, there isn't much in, they haven't found much about him archaeologically. So Cyrus was probably the kind of the head guy. And, and actually, the, the commander's name who conquered Babylon was Eubagora or something like that, and they actually they gave multiple names to people back then. They actually think maybe that that, that was that he was the commander, you know that uh, uh, that Darius was the name they actually gave to the commander that conquered Babylon. That's why he, why they gave it to him. So, but uh, you know it's hard to prove it for sure either way. Um, doesn't change a lot of those things. You can get down to the you can get down to some really minute detail that doesn't really change the the lesson of the story, you know, that much, but no, they're not. Yes. 
Yeah, and Media Persia, they, they were two, but they were one. Um, they, 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 had a con- they, they, were, they were a common kingdom, but they were like, like two. It's kind of like when, um, uh, you know, when the, uh, the, the Roman Empire, when you get down the two legs, there was Eastern Rome and Western Rome, and actually it even became two churches. You got the Eastern Orthodox now, and you got the Roman Catholic Church, but they were, they were one kingdom. You know, they're one kingdom, but yet still kind of like, I mean, if you had to apply it like America, it'd be like two different states, but the same country. You know, they were two kingdoms, but yet they were still the, the same kingdom. So they called it Medo-Persia is what they really called it. But it was more the, the Persian people that actually conquered Babylon. So it was the end of Babylon for sure. And that, that, then that Gentile power, uh, and, and God blessed them. You know, here's Darius, a guy who's honoring God, and uh, God is blessing them, you know, as a people. Because they're serving God. Just like they, he blessed Israel, you know, too. But then they, then they got away from God and they ended up going to captivity. So there's just tremendous stories in here about the power of honoring God. Amen? <laughs> All right. <laughs> I kept you over, way over an hour. So if you have any other questions, feel free to come up and ask me after class. I will try to answer them if I can. can't guarantee that I can. But um, you guys are a great class. Hey, God bless you. Have a good night. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Amen.